Today we begin a new series in, of, of sermons that will take us uh, through this spring, but it's going to be in two parts. And the first part is in, will be found in Luke chapter 3 through 9, and it is, it, we'll be looking at that in January and February, which is the, the things that Jesus did while he was on earth in the summary as we have them in the book of Luke. The book of Luke begins in chapters 1 and 2 with the announcement of Jesus' birth and, and, and what happens there, which we've looked at in this Christmas season. And then it turns to his, his life and ministry, which occurs 30 years later. And that, that happens through chapters 3 through 9. Then at, end at chapter 9, he begins to turn his face towards Jerusalem. And he makes his way down there because he knows that's where he's going to have to suffer and die. Chapters 10 through 19 is, it contains a lot of the teaching that Jesus has. It has the parable of the Good Samaritan and um, the prodigal son, some of the most familiar teachings of Jesus. And then, and then at the end of that, it goes into what happens at the end of Jesus' life and his, his death and then his resurrection. So in chapter 3, we begin with considering um, what, how Jesus gets called, as it were, to active ministry um, in his life on earth. It's after he's lived, he's grown up, and then the Lord calls him. But it begins not with Jesus, but with John the Baptist. That's the context, so that's what we'll see. So we're going to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 22, and then consider that together um, as our sermon text. Let's hear God's holy word. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... When Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturia, and Trachonitis and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough way is smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teachers, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, 
the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked up John in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. O Lord, you have called us through the coming of John the Baptist to repentance. We pray, O Lord, that we might hear that call and that we would see not only what is in your word, but what is in our lives, what is amiss, what is, what is done right, that we might strengthen those things that are good, turn from those things which are wrong. We pray, O Lord, that we would be ready to leave thought patterns which are not in conformity with what you would want us to think, that we would, that we would think in accordance with your word, and that, O Lord, when there is actions that are called for that you call us to, that we would be ready to do them. When there are things that you have not called us to, that we would be ready to leave them, and that we would have a heart that is sensitive to you. O oh, Lord, help us to hear the call to repentance, that we might find the assurance of forgiveness of sins that you have through us through our baptism. In Jesus' name, amen. New Year's is a sort of time of repentance, isn't it? Because it's the time when we begin to think about what did I do in the last year, and what should I do? in the year to come. And so you start to think there's some things that I was doing that I should not be doing. There's some things that I should be doing that I need to start doing. And that's, that's the thing that we think about at New Year's. And I encourage you to use this time to do that very thing. But that's what we're talking about. We're talking about repentance. So there's a sort of recognition of a need for repentance among society generally, that there is a, a place that is given to evaluate our past actions and to move into a different way of life. Another interesting thing, though, about New Year's is that it sort of forces that upon us. We may not want to think about repentance or change, but New Year's comes as a sort of time when we weren't planning on it, when we didn't ask for it, but it comes and it says, hey, you've got a year ahead of you. What are you going to do with it? And that's sort of what this passage is like. The people of Israel weren't necessarily looking for a time of repentance. It was forced upon them. It was forced upon them by the coming and preaching of John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And it called them to evaluate where they had been and to conform themselves to what God had called them to be. So that's what we're going to consider today. We're going to look at repentance and how that might help us to think about how we should change our lives. We're going to do this looking at three aspects of this passage. The messenger, the message, and the Messiah. So the messenger, the message, and the Messiah. The messenger here is the one that we call John the Baptist. And I want us to look at a few things about his life. First, John came through a miraculous birth. Now that's not in this passage, but it's one that you very well may have read in the past uh, few weeks as you look at Luke chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2, that um, John was 
John was the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and an angel appeared to John, or sorry, Zechariah, as he was ministering in the temple. He was a priest. He was of the house of Levi, and so was his wife. And the angel told them about the birth of John the Baptist. And listen to what he said. He said, He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so God was telling him that he was going to, he was going to be, John was going to be uh, born and that he was going to be a preacher and that he was going to prepare the way for the Lord. Now, this was remarkable because Zechariah and Elizabeth were well past the age at which they could bear children. And so it was a miraculous birth. They were past the age of bearing children, but they were not past the possibilities of God's power. And so God, through this miraculous birth, showed them that John was going to be God's special messenger. Secondly, John came through God's command. Even though John was set apart from birth to serve, just like Jesus was, he did not actually begin his public full-time ministry, we might say, until he was called to do so by God. Luke notes the exact time in which that occurred. It was in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. So it was about um, 27 AD. And during that time in history, this wasn't just something that was imagined or just a story. It was something that occurred in time and in history, as Luke notes. And then in verse 2, we see, at that time, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So it was like it was a message, and God gave it to him, and he says, here it's yours. Now you're to spread that out throughout this nation. And it's described in verse 3 what that was. So he went then, he received the word of God, and then he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so you can see that his message was about repentance. We're going to talk about that, what that is when we talk about the message. And with a baptism or a washing of water. And then it was to confirm them in the forgiveness of sins. So that John came through God's command and that's what he did. But then John also came with boldness. That's the third thing I want you to see about him. John came with boldness. Um, and this is based on his call. The fact that this message wasn't his, it came from God. And so he had an authority to say what he needed to say to the people around them. And you can see this, it's really remarkable. You can imagine like all these people coming to him. And what an exciting thing to see so many different people coming to him to hear the word. And what does he say to them? I'm so glad you're here today. I, I'm, I'm, I really enjoy seeing all of you out here today. Now listen to what he says. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So he didn't really pay that much attention to the fact that they were coming. He didn't think about, what do they think about me? He didn't think about, 
uh, whether they liked him or not. He actually just said, here's the message God has for you. You need to repent. He came with boldness. And he was willing to say that to anybody. And at the end of this passage, it talks about Herod, who was the ruler in the area where he was preaching. And he had no problem telling him what his sins were. And as a result, it got him in trouble. Listen to verses 19 through 20. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked up John in prison. So he had no, no problem saying this to the leader, even though there was going to be consequences. But he had a call from God to declare a message of repentance, and he was going to do that even if it cost him being put in prison. Because the fear of God in John was greater than the fear of man. The fourth thing is that John came to prepare the way for Jesus. John came to prepare the way for Jesus. John was not there for himself. John was there as a messenger who was going before the Lord to prepare the way for the Messiah. Sometimes he's called the forerunner because he runs before the Lord, or before the Lord to prepare the way. And so he was preparing the way for the Messiah. Notice in verse 15 it says, everybody was looking for this Messiah. And the Messiah means an anointed one. So there actually are as many Messiahs, as many anointed people. John himself, we can say, was a Messiah. He was an anointed person. But they were looking for the Messiah, the ultimate anointed one, and that was, or we call the Christ, which is really the same word as Messiah. One taken from the Greek, one taken from the Hebrew. And they were looking for this anointed one. And they asked John, are you the Messiah? They saw his power. They saw the force with which he came. They saw the effect of his message. And they wondered, is this the one God had promised? But he said, no, I am not. Listen to how he describes it in verse 16. I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In other words, whatever you think of me, John is saying, the one who's coming after me is way bigger, way better, way greater than I have ever been. And that's the one who you need to be ready for. And that's the one John is saying, I came to prepare for. Now let's look more closely then at what John said. Let's look at his message. John's message is one of repentance. And so what does repentance mean? Well, first, repentance demands a mindset change. Repentance is first and foremost about a mindset change. Repentance does not mean, first and foremost, saying, I'm sorry, or being sorry for what we've done, which is often what we think of, and uh, though that's a part of it, that's a fruit of it. But the word in the original literally means like mind change or change of mind. It's, it's You're looking at things one way, and now you are to look at things a different way. And that's where we see that the root of human life is in how we view things. As the proverb says, out of the issues of life, out of the heart come the issues of life. And the heart meant one's perspective, mind and emotions. 
as we would talk about it in the book of Proverbs. As Jesus says, if your eye is single, then your whole body will be full of light. And what he's saying there is how we think, how we view things determines how we will live and how we will act. So we begin with what's in our heart and mind. What, is, what are the stories that we are telling ourselves? That's, from, that's the thing from which the rest of our actions come. And so he's addressing what are they thinking about the world? What are they saying about it? One of the things they said was that they were the children of Abraham. And that meant everything was going to be okay for them because they were the physical descendants of Abraham. And John reminded them that that doesn't mean anything. If your actions are wicked, if your actions are unjust, having Abraham as your father, in fact, he he could have said it will bring greater condemnation because you have greater privileges. What matters most about Abraham is not his physical descendants, but his spiritual descendants. Those who have the same faith that Abraham had, which manifests itself in obedience and works. That is the true child of Abraham. So he challenged them. He says, God can raise up from the stones children for Abraham. So don't say, I'm a child of Abraham. What you need to do is you need to repent. You need to change your way of life. You need to change your way of thinking. So that's where we see repentance demands a mindset change. It begins in our hearts. It begins with what we're thinking. But then, secondly, repentance demands adjustments. It demands adjustments. It means things are going to have to shift around. That's how uh, it is described here in this passage. Luke calls us back to the words of Isaiah. And Isaiah talked about John. He talked about one coming before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And these are the words that Isaiah used as quoted by Luke. Listen, verse 4. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Now, how are you going to prepare the way for the Lord? Listen. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough way smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. So what he's saying is that when repentance comes, it demands adjustments. It means he's using a metaphor of making a highway in the wilderness where you have to cut through mountains, you have to fill in valleys, you have to find you have to break through the break through the rocks in order to get a straight road that is ready for someone to travel on. And that's what he wants to use to describe the changes in our life. He's saying that when the Lord comes, things are gonna have to shift. We're gonna have to start doing some things that we didn't do before. We're going to have to stop doing some things that we, weren't, that, we weren't, uh, that we were doing before. We're going to have to make some priorities that weren't our priorities before. We're going to have to start being some, something and developing characteristics that may, that may not be as present in us at this time. Other things we're going to have to leave behind. That's what it means to fill in the valleys and to bring down the mountains. So repentance demands adjustments. And then... Thirdly, repentance demands fruit. Demands fruit. It it demands not just something that happens in our hearts and minds, but it's got to come outside. It works itself out. Otherwise, it's not real repentance. Listen to what John says. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you've really changed your heart and mind towards God, 
then that should manifest itself in what you do. So actions have to occur that are different. So how does this work itself out? Well, he goes on to describe what happened. Verse 10. The crowd was like, what should we do then? And listen. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Then he says, even the tax collectors, the people nobody expected to come and be baptized, came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. And some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So they need to move from the unjust actions that they were doing and do that which is just. Note that when he calls for repentance, it's often manifested here in terms of how they relate to other people. Now, it does manifest itself in how we view God, how we view God obviously. But it's got to also manifest itself in how we view people. That's what we looked at last year in the book of 1 John. If we say that we, we, uh, if we don't love our neighbor whom we see, how can we say that we love God and we cannot see? Uh, it's one community, human, God and man. And so to, to be loving in that community is going to manifest itself in our relationships with other people. Now, and one of the things that I want to particularly challenge you is here is that he demands a concern for other people. You know, in our, in our society... You know, we may not be going out and doing unjust things to people that we do that. But a lot of times we just say to ourselves, we don't think about other people. We just stay on track, doing our own thing. We don't have any minds. We're not mindful at all of the people around us. What John is saying, repentance, is that's got to change. We've got to start thinking about the people around us. We can't just say, I'm here for myself. I'm here for other people. To do good things to them, to serve them, to love them, to care for them in their needs. And so one of the ways that we're called to repentance is that we no longer just care for ourselves and our own. And again, our society is highly conducive to that, to isolation even. But we're called out of that to live as a loving community. That's what repentance looks like when we talk about the Bible. Now, so that's the message. Repentance that demands a change in our minds, that then demands adjustments, and that produces fruit. But now we want to see that the heart of what John's ministry was all about, which was the Messiah. So we've seen the messenger, the, the message, and now the Messiah. Now, if, the, if you think about what John had said and all that we've talked about so far, what do you think the Messiah is going to do when he shows up? You know, I kind of picture him saying, you know, all right, John, good work. I'll take it from here. All right, you can sit down. Now it's my turn to preach. But you know what? That's not what Jesus did. He did something totally surprising. And John and Luke says it here in this really offhanded way. Like, like it's like, oh, oh, by the way, this happened. But it's like, it's not just a, by the way. It's really significant. Look at it says in verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Jesus was baptized too. So He didn't actually move to John's place and move him aside. He lines himself up with the people and he just gets in line to be baptized. And that is just, it's really strange because what is baptism for? Baptism is for repentance, turning from sin unto righteousness 
And as John said about Jesus, he is the spotless lamb of God who had no sin. He didn't need to be baptized for repentance. In addition, he's the Lord of the kingdom. The baptism was an outward sign of coming into the kingdom, and he's the Lord of the kingdom. He's the one who's giving the rules. He's not the one who has to subject himself to them. And so it's really strange that Jesus comes to be baptized. But yet it's also a really marvelous thing as well. Because because here comes Jesus right into the middle of where everybody is. And I love the way Luke says it. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was was baptized too. Like, it's like Jesus comes in and he's like, I'm just one of you. I'm right with you. I'm, I'm a human just like you and I'm joining with you. I'm coming right into the middle of you and I want you to know that I'm with you. What, how else and, or in what better way really could Jesus come and say to them, look, I accept you where you are. In, in many ways, we rightfully should have been far away from Jesus, excluded by Jesus. But instead he comes right into the middle of us. And he says, I'm with you, and I accept you, and I've come to heal you, and I've come to help you, and I've come to be united with you. That is all the things that Jesus is saying to us by being baptized. And notice something, another marvelous thing that happens is Jesus, again like us, is praying. He's praying. That's one thing that Luke adds as a detail. And as he was praying... And what happens is he's praying, there's the manifestation of God. There is the demonstration of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which reminds us, if we want to see heaven open up and the Father, Son, Holy Spirit being manifested, we too should pray. And that's what happened. We see the presence of the Son, who is there to be baptized. And then the Holy Spirit comes down in bodily form like a dove descending upon him, showing that he is the anointed one, anointed with the Spirit. But then the confirmation of his message from the Father, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And there, in a way, God the Father is calling him to this public ministry and manifesting to us that baptism is into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which means that God accepts us, God is with us, that he will restore us, that he will heal us, and that we have everything we need in him. And he confirms that to us through the washing of water in baptism. Now, what should we take then from all of this? Well, one way I want you to visualize this is asking yourself, what if Jesus came down from heaven and said to you, I'm going to just do life with you for a week. I'm going to stay at your house. I'm going to hang out with you, go to work with you. I'm going to do all all the stuff that you do. What sort of adjustments would you want to make if Jesus did that? That's really what this is saying to us. Jesus is coming. Now we need to think about what should our life really look like. I think if Jesus did that, it would be a very humbling experience for all of us. But it would be a healthy one. It would hurt. There's things that we would think about and see 
that we hadn't seen before. You know, like all of a sudden you, you've got all these things you kind of live with. Dirt here, things that you didn't clean under. Then you have a guest. And you're like, oh my goodness. That's kind of what it would be like, though amplified, right? But it would be good for us. Because we'd start to think in a way that we hadn't thought before. But it would also heal us. Because it would lead us to the right way. And what we would see is that Jesus seeing our heart that is ready to repent to make those adjustments would assure us once again, don't be afraid. Remember, I went down into the waters of the baptism of repentance just like you. I'm with you all the way. Amen.